When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I am on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome to Die Starts Tomorrow. I am your host, Aileen, and today I am rejoined by Vanessa Rosetto, who is a registered dietitian and the co-founder of Kalina Health. Welcome back, Vanessa, Thank first you. of all. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, yes, as a new friend of our podcast, I am personally excited to have Vanessa back on the show. We're going to be discussing a topic I've been kind of stewing about for a while, which is a big one. It's diet culture. I mean, this word gets thrown around a lot, and I really wanted to dive a little deeper about what it actually is and what it isn't. You know, I accept that diet culture exists. It's toxic. Some of the time, it's harmful. Some of the time, but I also recognize blaming diet culture isn't always helpful for every individual. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But welcome back. I missed you. How is life? (laughs) It's good. How is life with you? I see baby girl is starting her solids. Nice. She is set. Yes. Thank you for your text messages yesterday. You made me feel better. Yeah. She's great. She's seven months today. So fun. Time goes by like crazy. I personally, everybody's listening. I know I've mentioned it before. I've been working with um, a dietitian, Elizabeth at Kalina since our conversation. And I am obsessed. (laughs) I love it because I feel like I've learned so much that I didn't know before, just like as guidance of like what, not what I should be eating, but like helpful tips around navigating food and exactly answering those questions that I had on the podcast about like, I don't really understand nutrition from the perspective of non-weight loss, just about like, what does food do in your body? So I just want to say thank you again. Okay, it's it's awesome. But so what have you been up to? What's new with you? <laughs> um, you know, the investors are here to stay and help. Awesome. No, very helpful, very helpful. <laughs> and we're just trying to really get that mission out there. Like what you've experienced, right? Like everybody's lens is about weight loss or eating as it relates to like beauty. And people really do have this sort of fucked up relationship with food. And it's also very complex because you have to eat. It's not like 
if you're an alcoholic, you can just remove alcohol from your space if you need to. If yeah. you feel some kind of way around food, however that is, you cannot remove that. Um, and so having a dietitian that is well-versed in science and lifestyle and behavior change and talking you through those intricacies that are really important to you and your life makes all the difference, I believe. And like you're experiencing it too, right? Maybe it takes a little while, but I always say like, remember the fast and slick guy from high school that everybody liked? What happened to him? It's not, can't be fast and slick. It's never sustainable. <laughs> so we have to, you know, take our time and give ourselves some grace and also like use our brains a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's good for me might not be good for you and vice versa. And that's okay. Right. And what's good for like social media content isn't necessarily good for the individual. (laughs) So I really wanted to talk to you about this, just specifically a dietitian who's not necessarily an intuitive eating dietitian, but you experience like the spectrum of everybody's different types of eating habits, a spectrum of disordered eating habits, like you just said, different types of goals, whether it's weight loss or weight gain or a combination of all of it. And I really wanted to talk to you about that. And then we connected on a post on Instagram that was saying like, not everything is diet culture. And I thought it was an interesting perspective because is everything diet culture? Maybe not everything is diet culture. So I thought it'd be helpful just to define diet culture. Do you, I have one written down just in case, but do you have a definition? <laughs> How would you define it? I would just say like diet culture is, well, let's go back. Nutrition is this billion dollar industry, right? Mm-hmm. That is so multifactorial that it's really obtuse in thinking and in sharing with the world that intuitive eating is the cure-all, right? Like think about our standards of beauty. What is it, what informs us about that? How people are striving to be a certain way and all of the things around that. Am I rich? Am I poor? Did my mother have an eating disorder? Was I food insecure? Am I black? Am I white? What is my health literacy? There is so much out there. And then let me layer the top of genes. We know that there are genes that inform the way that your body looks. There is, you know, the whole mental aspect of it, right? There's also the food industry. Like there there are additives in food. So how can I intuitively eat Doritos when there are chemicals in them that make me want to continue to eat them? Mm-hmm. by design. And I don't think it's necessarily that the food industry is, um, you know, diabolical and sinister, but like they're a business and they're trying to make money, right? So like there's all of this stuff. And now we have people, some dietitians, some nutritionists, 10 years ago, those people were the same people telling you to restrict. Go ahead, do a detox. Go ahead, count your calories. Go ahead, count your macros. Go ahead, track every single thing on my fitness pal. Like go do those things because we want to be thin. And that's what is praised. And now all of a sudden we're saying no, and that's what you should be following too. When really the truth is somewhere in the middle. My mother, for all intents and purposes, in the 80s and 90s, I guess was considered overweight, but I didn't have a scale in my house and my mother never talked about her weight. And I didn't have any kind of feeling about food. And I realized that that is a privilege that is literally amazing. 
I'd mm-hmm. never gone on a scale. I didn't really know what I weighed. I really didn't care. In college, I gained 50 pounds because I didn't know anything about food. And then when I graduated college, I moved back home and lost 50 pounds because I just went back to eating my mother's food. And then I got curious about how that happened. And so that's how I ended up here on this journey. But that's a very different experience than someone whose mother put them on a diet at age 11 and started sending them to Weight Watchers. So everything for that person (laughs) might make them feel some kind of way about food, about Mm -hmm. the way they look, about their self-worth. Whereas for me, I don't feel that way. So when I see that I have high lab values and my weight has gone up 10 pounds and I know that there's heart disease in my family, if I want to stop eating sweets and give up alcohol because I know that's going to help my cause. There's nothing really disordered about that, right? That's just right. being from informed, right? Right, right, right. From that right. perspective. But as a dietitian, it's my job to say, right, before you just raised your hand and said, when I said, were you on a diet or whatever? Okay, I would ask you that question before we even started. What? How did people talk to you about your weight as a kid? Did your mother ever put you on a diet? Then that informs the way I speak to you and how I care for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So then that said, that's the background, that's the context, Uh which I totally agree with. Everybody comes from a different perspective, context, life, environment, like the way you grew up, then you were thrown into something else could have changed Uh your life and the way that you eat and your relationship with food, which I want to get to what that means, that could have affected that. So what is then this big looming diet culture that everybody sort of says, this is diet culture, this isn't diet culture? I think it's kind of a way for people to make money. That's like pretty controversial, I know, but I think it's true. I think a lot of people saying, that's diet culture, that's diet culture, don't do this, don't do that, intuitive eat, eat whatever you want. That's just another way for people to get noticed because all anybody wants to know is how they can eat the Doritos every single day (laughs) and it not affect them, right? (laughs) Like We are pleasure-seeking creatures and we want to feel good all the time and the Doritos make us feel good. I always go back to Doritos because they're my favorite food. They're the most perfect food, obviously, because they're genetically, <laughs> chemically engineered. But I think that, you know, like the actually uh, intuitive eating, there's a precursor to that. It's called Eating Competency. It's by a woman. Her name is Ellen Satter. She has a book. It's called Feeding Families. She is a registered dietitian and a mental health professional. And she talks about eating competence. And she says that a parent's job is the division of responsibility. You offer foods that the child deems as safe and foods that you want the child to eat. And sometimes you give chips and cookies and sometimes you give vegetables and you give them in a timed way and that will help your kid have good relationships with food. And she also goes on to say that intuitively eating is not something that is easily achieved, if at all, by adults and really is something for kids. And so if you're gonna try to do this as an adult, it's going to be very difficult. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's going to be really difficult. So when we hear about diet culture, it's just another way, another gimmick that people are trying to sell. I want to read the definition of what yep. that I read, and you tell me yep. if you agree. And then there is something about like healthism and like our, you know, you talk about we're pleasure seekers. We want to eat the Doritos, but we want to also like be healthy. I think the world has like 
turned. There's this like huge wave of like, we must be healthy. We must be the healthiest people just to live longer. And I want to talk about that because there's also like morality in that. So, okay, this is the definition. Diet culture refers to a set of beliefs that values thinness, appearance, and shape above health and well-being. Additionally, the concept places importance on restricting calories, normalizes negative self-talk, and labels certain foods as good and bad. Individuals subjected to diet culture messages have been conditioned to believe that not only does thinness and dieting equate to health, but that the pursuit of health makes one person morally superior to the other. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that we've all, we're all like aligned on that message, yes, right? Like right. for the most part, right? That's just seemingly like common sense. I think yes. the danger here is when we try to say that our way is the only way, but we're just looking at it from my lived experience. If I go and I think about all of these nutritionists, dietitians who are trying to just tell you like away with, with anything to do with health, <laughs> just do whatever you want. I actually had somebody once tell me that, a, di a dietitian, that me telling my patient that she had to understand her carbohydrate, her insulin to carb ratio, sensitivity factor, and count her carbohydrates as a type 1 diabetic was triggering and diet culture. And I was like, what? This person has type 1 diabetes. <laughs> right. That's interesting conversation. How did that go about? Because I was talking on another podcast and I was saying about a patient of mine that had type 1 diabetes that had never um, counted her carbs or whatever. And when she came to me, her A1C was very high and she was like, I'm ready now, 10 years after my diagnosis, to be accountable for my health because I know what could happen to me. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. so let's start here. This is a good place to start. Yeah. She was like, don't you feel like you're just feeding into diet culture? I'm like, uh, no, she, do she doesn't have anything that would lead me to believe that she has a relationship with food where she would be triggered to go into an eating disorder. She wants to know so that she could be more informed when she's dosing herself with insulin. And just mm -hmm. because that's your peer view, that's fine. That's not hers. Has that ever happened where somebody, or have you ever come across that? I'm sure it's happened. But a patient has an eating disorder or has is recovering from one, but also has something like diabetes that needs to, they need to watch what they're eating. Like how does, or other types of, you know, health issues. Yeah. How, do, how, how do you recommend they take care of themselves? Well, first of all, it's interdisciplinary. So it needs to be with the dietitian, the physician, the therapist, and it's like constant coordination of care, which is what we do, right? At Kalina, we're always doing that. If you're a GI patient, a lot of GI patients have a lot of mental health issues just because from the very nature of their illness, like if they don't feel good. And so then they end up on this cycle of restriction all the time because they're afraid to eat foods. Like that's real. And yeah. they're, they start spiraling down this disorder eating path. So you have to be aligned with their therapist and their GI doctor, and you have to constantly be talking. And it's a very delicate balance. You, right. And so no, you, you wouldn't be like, you should do low FODMAP. Like, no, <laughs> you can't do low FODMAP. Let's, let's talk through, right? So somebody like that, I'd say, let's talk through the foods that you feel triggered by, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not asking you to eliminate. I'm asking you to take note of how you feel after you eat and what was in those things. And then one at a time, we could try to remove things to see what's causing it because it's not likely everything, right? right? So like it's the language and how you're supporting people and how you're getting people to really see 
how food affects their body and their mental health and the fact that like we can all eat the same food every day and not look the same right so yeah or work out it's the same thing with working out Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life, so it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. In terms of like the intuitive eating and then the non-intuitive eating, I'm a personal case. I think I'm evidence in that you can take something from both sides and it work for you and also something from both sides and it not work for you. I was speaking to Elizabeth, my dietitian from Molina, about this. We were talking about intuitive eating and I said like a lot of it did work for me. It really did. We were talking about dessert because she was basically my therapist when it came to desserts and why I can't really not have dessert. We were trying to figure that out. And we were talking about having dessert in the house, like intuitive eating says you should have the access to it again, privileged 
standpoint, but access to it. And then you should be able to have only a little bit and you should have a uh, healthy relationship with that. And for me, I need to have dessert in my house in order for me not to like go crazy for it. Right. And she was sort of saying that like, well, maybe not. Maybe you should go make it a special thing and go out for it. But I'm saying, trust me, (laughs) because intuitive eating has worked in the sense that I would not be able to in the past have peanut butter in my house because I would have to like eat the whole thing. But now I can have jars of peanut butter because I allowed myself to have it. I can have jars of peanut butter in my house forever and a day. It's no longer charged. But I'm also learning (laughs) from Elizabeth that like I can add vegetables and add things to my meals and also not be this like charge. I'm restricting. I'm not eating certain things like that kind of thing. So like really is both sides. So I think that I'm just trying to illustrate that treating the individual is the key. There's no one size fits all approach to any of this. In terms of the diet culture, I wanted to talk about the valuing of thinness and appearance. What are your thoughts on that? Because I do feel like, I mean, our society is a bit fat phobic. Do you agree with that? Um, I I do agree with that, but I think that also it's not like we're f- just fat phobic. We are, there's racism, colorism, right? Like what is the standard of beauty? Thin, rich, white. Mm-hmm. Right. And that goes back. Like think of all the nutritionists and dietitians. They are thin and white. <laughs> right? Only 2.6 of registered dietitians are people of color. So if you really think about that, that even takes you even further down a hole, right? And so I think it's not just about being fat phobic. It's about people's color. It's about people's height. We have this tendency, yes, to like be commenting on people's look and like, what is the standard of beauty that we think is beautiful? There's that. I think also Mm -hmm. for me, from like my perspective, like, I mean, growing up, I I was made to not feel pretty all the time <laughs> just because I look different than people. And and I was very thin my whole life. So being thin for me in my mind is not the measure of like beauty. Mm-hmm. But right? it is for a lot of people. It is for a lot of people. I always talk about this one woman that I had who during the pandemic, she lives alone. She's over 50 and she ended up gaining like 25 pounds just like in her house eating like four tiramisu's from Whole Foods like, you know every day. And she was, uh, and she was unhappy about that. And I get it because she socialized a lot. This is how she connected with people. So Mm -hmm. I just, we got her to this place where it was like, you just get the dessert or just have one tiramisu and, and then she, and you know, adding the vegetables and adding foods and, and she lost the weight and the world opened back up and things were great. And she was really excited about that. And she was like, I want, I want to do more. I want to lose more weight. And I was like, first of all, you look, wonderful. And we got to the goal that you wanted where you felt you gained this weight because you were, you were engaging in behaviors that you were unhappy about. So we fixed that. Do you know what would happen if we decided to go down more? You would not be able to socialize with your friends. You wouldn't be able to eat any desserts. Your Friday wine and cheese plate, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. She was like, huh. And she got it, right? And, yeah. like, and VM. Like, yeah. And she, she was like, she was like, oh, I, I should be happy with where I am. I'm like, I mean, I'm not here to tell you what makes you happy or what doesn't make you happy, but I'm not going to sit here and continue down some path with you just because you feel energized that you like, you know, you made all these changes and this happened. 
you're going to make yourself crazy and you're not going to be able to enjoy your life. And that's not what you want. And she was like, yeah, I got it. So I think it's up to practitioners to say too, like, hey, let's think through what, why you came, where we are. What is your reasoning for continuing down this path? Reevaluate that. Mm -hmm. And then let's have an open conversation. But what about this? You're saying both a thin body is beautiful, so is a fat body. Then there's all these people. Like, it's not healthy. It's not he quote unquote healthy, which is something I wanted to talk about the health, this pursuit of this magical health. What it does it even mean? How does weight play into it? The thing is, is that I don't necessarily know how weight plays into it until I try to help change the behaviors. So if you come to me and you're, I always use like the, the lab values, the heart lab values. Let's say your triglycerides are 400. They should be less than 150. And there's a lot of reasons why they should be less than 150. You're going to, but the short reason is you're going to have a stroke. So, so like backing up, you're saying that when you're, you, somebody's overweight, right? or isn't overweight, doesn't have to be. First, you look at heart health is the first yeah. indicator of health for you. Yeah. For me, I look at everybody's labs first, not their weight. One of my patients okay. once was like, I stayed, I stayed with you after the first appointment. Like my litmus was that you didn't ask me um, about my BMI <laughs> or my weight. It was like, yeah. Was the, yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, okay. So if you come to me and you say, I want to lose weight, then I'm going to look at your BMI and your height and all those things. And, and I'll make, some sort of assessments there, right? But if you come to me and you're like, hey, I have these really high lab values. And so triglycerides or are one that, you know, people will come and say like, my, my total cholesterol, okay, triglycerides. And I look at them, okay, we can do better because we want to be within range because that's going to help your heart health, right? Those are going to increase your chances of not having a stroke or a heart attack. And that's what I care about. And then we start to modify the behaviors. We start to incorporate more vegetables. We start to say, oh, you're using three tablespoons of olive oil when you have half a cup of vegetables. Let's try one tablespoon. Can, do you think you could, you'd be satisfied with that? Like, because people don't have, um, actually a gauge on what things really look like. So when you start to explain it to them, then they're, they're okay with it. And so maybe you lost weight. And your lab values went down. Maybe you didn't lose a pound, but your lab value still went down because you were behaving better, right? You were, you, and by better, I mean more vegetables, more fruit, more water, right? That, that's helping your cause, right? And so I'm not asking you necessarily to eliminate all the things that you were doing, but where are places where we can make improvements? And you made those improvements. Sometimes the weight loss makes a difference and sometimes it doesn't. So that's not really always the focus. The focus is, how are you putting food into your body? What are you putting in? And where can we get things extra that we know are going to move the needle? Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes in and they are overweight though, and their labs are fine and they want to lose weight, what do you say? Really depends. <laughs> so it's, it really depends. Like, I mean, I think probably like if I really get down to it, I'm probably technically like close to overweight. I'm probably like right on the line. If I really start like you personally, you're saying, yeah, for me personally, okay. but like I eat vegetables every single day. I eat fruit every single day. I exercise every single day. I do as much plant-based as humanly possible. And my labs are all great except for that one lab that's a genetic factor. So I, I pay attention, but so like, I don't know. 
If I'm sitting around trying to lose weight, I'm probably going to bang my head against the wall. And if I really think about it, like I'm over 40, I, like there's a lot of factors. Also, I, have you seen my family? Everyone in my family has heart issues and they are all larger people. And mm-hmm. so if I was standing with my whole family, I would look like, you know, Bella Hadid because like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they're just like, I'm, I'm different, right. right? They're all just like rounder people. And so I have to look at my genes as well. And so I would have to say like, Hey, like, let me see where we can make some improvements, but everything looks really great. And if you're doing everything that you can while still living your life in a happy way, that's a win. And we have to just say like, and and here I'm not suggesting that you should just say, I don't, I don't care. I'm going to, you know, eat sleeves of cookies and do whatever. I'm not suggesting that, but like, I also don't think you should give up your dessert every single day if it's really not making any kind of difference Mm -hmm. and it's not going to. Right. I was also getting to the fact like there are so many people that are like that because back to the diet culture or rather the valuing of thin bodies is so, it's so prevalent. There's so much good that's been done in like, not that much, but some in social media, (laughs) some in fashion. And I think there is like a much more accepting world, but the majority of people's minds I think are unmoved and I can hear it just by talking to any adult, like adult. And I mean like my parents' generation, (laughs) I hear diet talk everywhere, everywhere, you know, oh, you, or even not even diet talk, not that just like, oh, he looks good. He looks good. She looks good. And it's always about somebody losing weight. And I can't, I, maybe it's just in the life that I live. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's this particular place, but I can't, it's unavoidable for me. So I, that's all I see. And I would like to get to a place at least in the next generation where that's not. And I don't, I don't know how to get there because especially with children, if children are overweight, but you want to die, you go to a dietitian. They're like, okay, now we have to count everything that you eat. So what, what do we do then? Like I, what what are you what would you do do you take children like <laughs> yeah well um we do see children but uh it's really we're really like saving their mental state right cuz like cuz the parents are concerned or the pediatrician is very concerned for whatever reason and and when we take those kids we have a very detailed conversation with the physician right and so here's something your the intrauterine environment informs the postnatal environment. What does that mean? If your mother has type 2 diabetes and is obese, you are going to have type 2 diabetes and be obese. And all of the kids that we see have that story. So Mm -hmm. there are genetic factors happening here, right? And so the doctor is like, how can we help these patients They don't need to, I'm not asking them to be skinny. (laughs) I'm, you know, you're a world of thin or whatever. I'm asking for us to save them from having to get on insulin, right? Mm -hmm. That is, that's really the goal. And I don't want to do it because I don't know how to talk about nutrition. So I'm asking for you guys to be in-house. Okay, fine. So we do that and we manage that really well. We work with the kids. But when I talk to the kids, sometimes I'll go in and talk. Like one time I talked to a little girl. I just had a conversation with her about her day in her life. I didn't ask her to make any kind of changes. And 
I learned that her family relies on school breakfast and lunch. Well, school breakfast and lunch, breakfast is graham crackers and whole milk and lunch is a hot dog. And she also gets cheese doodles. Right. (laughs) So like, what what are we doing here? Right? Right. (laughs) How is this is what her experiences and her family doesn't have the means to give her fresh fruits and vegetables, but she likes fresh fruits and vegetables and she will eat them and she just make them for her. So when she goes out to dinner with her mom, she usually gets the fish and the broccoli because that's what she likes. So it's all about what her access is. Yeah, These are things that people aren't really thinking about. I mean, I think, but back to the kids thing and about what you're saying about people like commenting on the way that you look. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really strict about not commenting on the way that people look. So if my son, my son came home the other day and he was like, yeah, you know, this black boy in class, I'm like, there are other words to describe him. So why don't you describe him in a, di- in a different way for me, please? And he's like, oh, he always wears a yellow jacket, right? I get them into like these descriptors, never, but we don't want to comment on people's physical appearance because that's not, uh, that's not the way to, to talk about people. And so my son's like, okay, I get it. We were watching the Grammys and um, Harry Styles comes out like kind of like with his shirt open or whatever. I'm like, what is he wearing? And my son is like, mom, we should not comment on the way that people look. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I think it's like that sort of thing, right? Like, I, nev- I would never see you and be like, oh, you look good. Or because I, I do that on purpose because yeah. I don't want you to think that your worth is predicated upon what you look like. Right. I don't want you to feel that way. And I don't tell my kids they look good either. Right? <laughs> like, it's just like not a thing. You're, you know, like you're smart. You read really well, like all of those things. And I think calling people out, I do that too. Like, you know, calling somebody out to be like, you know, I notice that you're always commenting on the way people look makes people step yeah. back. <laughs> they won't want to talk to you again after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a very loaded, it's very loaded, this whole, the whole thing. The, yeah. the conversation of diet culture. But I want to also talk about what isn't diet culture, which will lead us to a topic of like nutrition facts or myths that have been may, may or may not have been co-opted by diet culture. But before that, when you see people post or things that you see online, what would you categorize is not, squarely not diet culture? I mean, if somebody is like, Look at my before and after. That's definitely diet culture, right? <laughs> um, if someone is like, hey, I had post-COVID eczema and I made some changes to my diet and now I don't. <laughs> like, specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's actually been like happening and I'm like, you need really? to like look. Yeah. And because, you know, you're primed for an autoimmune disease. And so now the COVID triggers the autoimmune disease and then you have like eczema or psoriasis. And so the ways to lower that is, can be through diet. And so, you know, saying, let's try to limit red meat. If you're eating red meat every week, let's do that once a month. Let's try to get more, you know, lentils in your diet, things like that. That's not diet culture, that's, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I have really high blood sugar and before I ha- I'm going to get on medication, I want to make changes to my diet. Okay, I'll help you make those changes. Mm-hmm. But if I'm like, hey, Aileen, like, like you're feeding your baby, right? I see people being like, don't feed your baby this 
fruit because there's sugar in it. <laughs> yeah, no, somebody messaged me that like, oh, those pouches, they're good. They're low calorie. I'm like, what the fuck does that what? mean? How many calories do you know? Do you know how many calories a baby should have? I mean, I know because I know, but like, I don't, I also don't care, right? Like, no, but you that's, know. it's, it, that's irrelevant. I was looking yeah. at the ingredients and almost think like, oh, that is how I should be approaching my life. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm trying Adult. to make sure that my daughter doesn't have issues with food when she grows right. up and a hundred percent. It's kind of funny. The reason what I know how much a baby should have is because when I worked in the ICUs, I would need to give babies tube feeds and that was important, but no, your kid is just so happy. It's not formula or breast milk. They're like, please give me all the, the all cooked carrots, the mushy carrots squash, exactly. whatever you have. right? And so, yeah, but people say that don't give your baby this and don't give your baby that where with your question that you were asking and why I recommended that one book in particular is that it's so amazing. Cause it's like seven months. These are the foods yeah. that won't give your baby an allergic reaction. Try them yeah. one at a time. And then like, right. Move on. right. That's, no, but that's I was, I was shocked that it was like a comment about calories. It was like, Wow. No, wrong, yeah. wrong path. But okay. So you're saying posts about, you know, things that related to disease or health related, but what about like weight loss conversations? Just generally somebody who wants to lose weight. Like I said, they, their labs are fine <laughs> or they've gotten to a place where their labs are fine. And now they just want to lose weight for appearance. I mean, they're saying they want to fit in clothes better. They can't change the fashion industry. I want to wear the clothes that I want. And I, that's part of sometimes my incentive, I guess, or I just want to feel better. I hear that all the time or like, like, you know, I, I want, I, I want to move better. Is that diet culture? I don't know necessarily. Cause I don't know. I can't speak for every single person, right? I can only speak about like my lived experience. So I can only say that if I wanted to lose 10 pounds, I guess it would be the motivation would just maybe be aesthetic and that would be okay. Mm -hmm. if I, but if I was like sitting around obsessing over every single thing that I ate in order to get there, then that is diet culture. Right. So it's not hard and fast because for me, it's okay if you say I was 10 pounds lighter and I felt better. So I want to try to get there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And maybe we do a lot of work and we lose five pounds. And then, and that was really tough to get to. You made a lot of changes that you could live with, but if we want to get down another five pounds, you're going to have to make this, this many more changes is, are you ready to do that? And you're like, nah, I'm good. Five pounds. I feel fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause you know what? 10 pounds and five pounds. The only person who's going to notice is you nobody else out in the world and your clothes are going to fit. I promise. So yeah, it's, it's okay from my view, but another RD would be like, no, you have to ask those people why, and you should, you should convince them otherwise. And I'm like, I don't necessarily agree because I need, it's personalized. I need to understand where we're coming from and what we're playing with. But mm -hmm. you know, if you have a history of disordered eating and now you've sort of recovered it, your words, not mine. And now you want to lose weight. Like the two things don't really match. And mm -hmm. so we have to have a different conversation. Right. I also feel like people these days though, are really afraid to even say that they want to lose weight because yeah. of how far extreme we've got to the other side. Mm -hmm. And how can we talk about weight loss in a way that doesn't like both trigger others but also, I don't want to say convinces, but like shares with others that it's coming from a healthy perspective. 
Yeah, well, first of all, what you do with your body and how you operate is nobody's business, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're like in this world of oversharing all the time. Like, I don't know why I have to be like posting every meal that I eat and my body. Like, I don't know what, and also like, what are we teaching our children? I don't post photos of myself in a bathing suit because I don't want my kids to think that that's appropriate. I don't want my son to think it's okay to be like ogling women. And I don't want my daughter to think that she has to post herself looking a certain way in a bathing suit. Like it's just this crazy cycle. So we have to stop that. Right. But also like, if you want to lose weight, that's between you and your dietitian or your nutritionist, like whoever you have employed to to coordinate your care. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, there's no shame in wanting to lose weight. Wanting to lose weight does not equal eating disorder. Right. Right. Yes. Because everybody thinks about the way that they look. Right. right? Everybody yeah, thinks no. you don't wake there's up no in the morning and you're not, not, yeah, you're not like, oh, whatever. Like you're, you're thinking about it. And so maybe there are things that you want to do to change or not. Whether or not you're going to get the results that you want or whatever, I don't know. But this is your choice. I think it's also like just you think you have to ask yourself if you want to lose weight or whatever. Ask right. yourself why. You know, what is it about this changing your body that's what is it going to do for you and right. like how is it going to affect your life in in is it gonna like give you, you said worth is right is it but is it going to make your life harder because <laughs> when you think it's going to be easier is it going to be harder because of the choices that you have to make to stay in that smaller body when it comes to the plant-based eating debate there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. I want to talk about nutrition, specifically things that have or have not been distorted by diet culture, maybe myths. I have so many people who wrote in about like, what are you confused about? Ask me. Hit me <laughs> and with it. Let's, the list is long, my friend. Okay. The first on. thing that I think we should talk about is carbs because it is the it is the word. When you think about diet, oh, I should eat, I should eat less carbs. And all of a sudden you're eating more carbs. <laughs> so what <laughs> I speak from experience. What are carbs? 
why do you need them? Yeah. First answer that. (laughs) So carbs are the main fuel source from your body that your body needs, right? And so in the absence of carbohydrates, your liver will make carbohydrates. It's called gluconeogenesis. I know we all have friends. They did Atkins. They did keto, like blah, blah, blah. Great. It takes a while for your body to get there and stay. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you've been asleep, you have no carbs, and your body needs carbs? Your body makes carbs. And what? how, how do the carbs get into the cells? They use insulin. Insulin is a storage hormone. So if your insulin is always up because you're not eating carbs, <laughs> your weight is going to be up. And then what happens is that night you overeat the carbs because you didn't have any during the day, enough anyway. Mm-hmm. And so now you still have these spikes of insulin and you're just in this round, crazy cycle. So if you just eat carbs <laughs> at breakfast, lunch, and dinner in regular amounts, Everybody's different. Everybody's weight, size, goal, whatever. I don't know how much you exercise, so like, please, but eat them. You'll be far better off than all of this restriction. Even mm-hmm. the studies show that intermittent fasting, if people are intermittent fasting and also eating like a varied diet, their weight loss is pretty much exactly the same. It's about like 6.2 pounds over the course of like six weeks. So just like eat carbs and eat at Ugh, time intervals. I'm, I'm going to get to intermittent fasting after this. But going yeah. back to carbs, the best thing I've ever learned is that like your brain needs carbs to function. That's right. And like you're and so so that's why sort of you'll feel spacey like if you don't eat enough or whatever. Like it's they, it needs it to function. And carbs aren't necessarily like carbs Cookie. are in everything. It's right. not carbs just cookies. In, they're in fruit. fruit. But they're in vegetables, guys. You know how many times you so, you show people a plate and there's like chicken and broccoli on it and you're like, where are the carbs? And they're like, there are no carbs. You're like, no, no, no. The broccoli has carbs. Yeah. <laughs> carbs but obviously, the, the but the co-opting thing is the carbs saying no carbs, keto. So you brought up keto, keto diet. I know you hate it, right? Is being in ketosis healthy? So the whole thing about being in ketosis, ketosis was like the induction period of Atkins. So we got into ketosis and then we started to increase our carbohydrate intake by five grams every day to see where we would stop losing weight. And then we would eat within that range. And then people, some people were like, hey, I could just be in ketosis all the time and not have to worry. And that should be fine. Mm -hmm. The range though of carbohydrates that you would need to intake to being ketosis differ for people. So like for men, some they can get away with like 50, 45 to 50 grams of carb at every single meal and still be in ketosis. So that's exactly. So it's a little easier for them. Yes. As opposed to <laughs> a woman who's like, hey, I don't know that I could eat 50 grams of carbs at every single meal. I mean, maybe, maybe not. It's all individualized. So you don't need to live off of ketones. You're just looking for a quick fix. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. How do you how do you play with your baby? How do you come go to work? How do you exercise? Like you won't be able to have any energy to do anything. Right. Also, we only ever use ke- uh, the ketogenic diet for epileptic kids in the hospital, and we cycled it every six to eight weeks because you're not really supposed to live off of ketone bodies for more than that at a clip. What happens to your body? start to like debt, like, de- like denigrate the cells and it's not good for you. So you just, mm-hmm. that's not ideal. Like everybody go back to 
protein, fat, and carbohydrate at every single meal. Yeah. You will do better. That's another thing I learned is like just is, yes, Elizabeth is like, I said I had to stop tracking because I was like, things are getting bad for me and I recognize it and I immediately stopped. And I talked about this on, um, for everybody listening, I talked about this on Back for Seconds episode, but I was like, I don't want to track ever. I have to stop. I can't do it. It's not good for me. And she's like, well, I don't want to track either. (laughs) So we're going to just go by like a plating method and like just sort of just understanding the proportions of the different, uh, like you said, carbs, protein, and fat. And it's been helping. The other day I ordered, like I was making a, I was ordering something. I was like, you know what? I need more vegetables in this meal. And I was like, this is a new alien. (laughs) Yeah. But like the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be that now you are roasting broccoli. Like, no, I literally chop, I literally chop up vegetables every Sunday and put them in a like mason jar with water. And then I'm like, great, here are more carrots on my plate because I don't have enough whatever I was roasting. Right. And so I'm just more cognizant of the fact that I, if something doesn't have it, uh, it would be better to add more instead of like, what can I take out? I've, right. I've changed my perspective of what calories do is that calories need to give you energy. You're eating for the purpose of living rather than like reducing calories so right. you can be thinner. And like, that's my brain is is rewired. So again, I'm glad. Love you. Star student. <laughs> I am a star student. Okay. Talking about carbs again, sugar intake. This is another question. And also I've learned from Elizabeth is added sugar. What is, when you look at the nutrition label and you see sugar and then you see added sugar, what is the difference and what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. So like sugar, there's sugar in, there's sugar in jam. Let's say I took raspberries and I mashed them up and I made a jam, there would be sugar in that. Maybe let's say there would be seven grams of sugar and, but they'd be naturally occurring. And so it's okay. Right? Like there's, there's also fiber in raspberries and you know, maybe, maybe that jam also had like chia in it. So there's like other things in there that are going to like help the cause and sugar is naturally occurring. So we don't have to worry about that or in, or in a yogurt, right? Like there's lactose and that has, you know, that's a milk sugar and it's naturally occurring. But what happens then when you see that there's like 14 grams of added sugar because we just like had to make it sweeter or I get like so pissed off when I when I buy peanut butter and I don't pay attention. I'm like, why are there 23 extra grams of sugar? So what is that? That's just sugar that's added to the ingredients. That's right. So like like just pure sugar. Pure sugar. Yep. Just because of bliss point. Because how am I going to sell more of this peanut butter? How am I going to get people to want to eat more, go through it faster, and then keep coming back? I'm adding things to it to make it more palatable so that they do so. What is a range of added sugar that maybe you want to stay below? Because we're not avoiding added sugar. Like it's in everything. It's there. And that again is restrictive, right? Yeah. So you want to do, I think it's 25 for women and like 34 for men. And so you, but you just like think about it, right? Like, do I need to buy the peanut butter that has added sugar? Like Skippy does not have added sugar. So like you can just buy the Skippy, right? I'm not telling you to buy the expensive one. I'm just telling you to like pay attention, right? So that doesn't need to have extra sugar in that, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're getting like yogurt, do you need to have the Chobani flips? I mean, like you can, but why don't we just get like a different one, right? So those are the ways that you could like make some concessions, but like 
if you're if you're buying Oreos, you're buying Oreos, and those have added sugar. And we know, you know, right. we're in for a dime, we're in for a dollar. We know what's up here. Right. <laughs> so, if I want ice cream. I want ice cream. Just eat the ice cream. Like yes. Okay, that's very helpful. Also, something that I did not know about. All right, let's talk about protein because protein, I think, is one of the number one things that is everybody's confused about protein intake. You hear all these trainers or people on TikTok saying, this is how I lost weight. I gained, I increased my protein intake to 150 grams and I am a five foot two woman <laughs> and that's how I lost weight. And now weight. you have kidney disease, but and, that's cool. <laughs> but, okay. But so what is the deal with protein? How much is a healthy range for various sizes or female, male? And what happens when you eat too much of it? Yeah. So if you're constantly overeating protein, your kidneys are working overtime. And so that's not ideal. That's probably not going to happen. But this is America and everything has protein in it. Um, it's just like, you know, for a while, it's like, there's tons of cereals with protein. And, you know, they're putting minerals and protein in like soda. It was like ridiculous. So that's not necessary per se. Also, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, have this collagen in your coffee, and you're gonna have this extra protein. Cool but it is already denatured. So it's already broken down and now you're putting it in the hot coffee. So you're not going to get all the protein benefits. So you're just basically throwing money out the window, but let's do like quick and dirty calculation for all of you people listening, divide your weight by 2.2 and you're going to get your kilograms. And then you can give yourself an activity factor of 1.1 to 1.5. 1.1 is do I do 30 minutes of exercise every single day? Whatever the exercise is, walking, yoga, whatever, 1.1. Do I run six miles a day and lift? Then I'm getting 1.5. So my kilograms times somewhere between 1.1 to 1.5 will give you the amount of protein you can have in a day. So let's, let's do the example. If I weighed 150 pounds divided by 2.2, that gives me 68 kilograms. 68 kilograms, I work out most days of the week. I'm going to give myself an activity factor of 1.3. What's considered like a workout you're saying? Like is walking every day? I just Yeah, walking every day. Is, yeah. Walking every day is a workout. So let's say we did one, 150 pounds divided by 2.2 is 68, right? So 68, let's say I'm let's say I'm saying you have you get 1 gram of protein per kilogram. So you're at 68 times this activity factor is 1.2. So you're at 81.6. That's what it would be for someone who doesn't move as much. But let's say you were 68 times one, and then your activity factor is 1.5 because you're like a power lifter and you run. Well, now you're at 102 grams of protein per day. Mm -hmm. And then you divide that by three meals so that's 34 grams of protein. That's like six ounces of chicken at breakfast, you know, at that's lunch it. and dinner. And then at breakfast, maybe like two and a half eggs. Mm -hmm. And then remember, there's protein. There's, you know, they put protein in your Ezekiel muffin. Maybe you had a smoothie. Maybe you had a yogurt, cheese, cheese nuts. There's protein there. So, but what would be considered overeating protein? And what would be considered under eating it? Like what level? So, so I think that like, people who restrict their intake on a regular basis will under eat protein, right? So these people who intermittent fast, then like when they do eat something, they're like, oh, I'm just going to have a piece of toast with peanut butter. You know, those people who think like, oh, I had peanut butter. So I had protein and you're like, eh, that's like six grams, guys. <laughs> like you okay. some, a little bit more. Um, and then they stop eating at six o'clock. So you're never going to hit 68 grams, 80 grams. Like you're never going to get there. 
because mm-hmm. you just didn't have enough, you know, time in the day to do it. So right. that's that. And then you have these people who are just like protein frenzied. And so they have eggs and eggs for breakfast and they have one egg for a snack and they have seven ounces of chicken. And then they have, you know, th- they have a yogurt and they put protein powder in it because they're just chasing this feeling of fullness so that they don't allow themselves to feel like regular satiety and understand, you know, what it feels like to be hungry or not. And also to stop themselves from maybe overeating later on in the, in the day. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The whole protein thing I think is really interesting the way that like weight loss has affected what people think actually should be what they, the amount they should be eating. Um, yeah. Like I, my mind's blown. Like I didn't know that I could have less. I, it was almost hard for me to accept it. Cause I was like, well, wait, really, is it going to work? In fact, I learned it, there's, you can have any com really a lot of different combinations of your macros and still lose weight or gain weight. So That's it's right. not really just, you know, again, one size protein is king, whatever. So That's the right. third one, let's talk about fat. A lot of questions all all around fat, whether because a lot of people there was the whole like everything should be low fat, and now people are saying no, you should be eating four percent fat. Then there's the oh. saturated fats, then it's cholesterol. So let's talk about um, it all. How how does fat play into what? What does it do for your body? I mean, we need fat to function, right? If you didn't eat fat for three days, you would have essential fatty acid deficiency and. I mean, you would probably die. So you definitely need fat. Um, it's good for your joints. It's good for your organs. Uh, so it, it helps us. Um, do you know, ten to fifteen percent fat, maybe twenty, depending on if you're like some sort of like elite athlete and the like. Um, but again, remember how one time there was like a Harvard scientist that was like, coconut oil is the devil, mm. and you're like. No, it's not the devil, but everybody thinks it's like the antidote and it's going to save them. And the reason why is because coconut is a medium chain triglyceride, which may or may not help with weight management. See, we heard that word weight management. So we're like, okay, got to yep. put it in everything. We got to yeah. put it everywhere. Yeah. Eat it, we to drink it. This is what we need. So use normal servings, a tablespoon of olive oil. What is the serving size of an avocado, right? Like half the avocado. Just having one serving of fat at every single meal is sufficient. The problem lies is when you're saying, I just need to up my fat and then I'm going to lose weight. But then you don't adjust anything else that you eat. So now Mm -hmm. you're just overeating fat and under eating everything else. And your calories, your saturated fat are probably going through the roof and you're banging your head against the wall. Instead of looking for a quick fix, just eat protein, fat, and carb in normal amounts for your body, and you're going to feel perfectly full most of the time. You should feel that way, and you'll be all right. You'll fare better. But I think the confusion is what is the appro- what are the appropriate amounts? Like that's really nobody knows. Like because you're hearing, oh, actually, you should be eating full fat yogurt instead of because that's healthier for you. You need that fat. Like it's not. It's not necessarily healthier. It just depends on what you want, right? So like I personally eat low fat or no fat um, yogurts because I like to add things to my yogurt and make it like a whole thing. So I get a non-fat yogurt and a teaspoon of Nutella and make a pudding and the fat comes from the Nutella. It's an event. (laughs) But if you want to eat a – but when Siggy's – and Siggy, if you're listening, I don't know where this went, but you need to bring it back. 
the chocolate Siggy's yogurt that was 4%, life changing, <laughs> delicious. That was 4%. I ate it. No problem. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Just depends on. So one isn't necessarily better than the other. It's just what are you trying to accomplish out of mm-hmm. your yogurt experience? Right. Or any fat intake. What about um, like saturated fats? Why should you, and I know trans fats were like now, nobody really, they're they're not in things anymore, but why are saturated fats, should they be limited? Well, because it affects your heart health. So clogs arteries, if you're predisposed to heart disease, heart attacks, we want to be paying attention to the saturated fat that we're eating. That's not to say that you can't have any saturated fat, but again, how much of it are you taking in if there's some sort of like genetic thing going on or that your heart health, your labs are out of whack, then we want to pay attention. What's what's the limp what's a, a range of like saturated fats? So it's like two and a half to five and a half percent. It's like really not that much. It's like if you had like a lean, like a flank steak, that would be like the saturated fat for the day. Okay. But it's in a lot of things, saturated it's in fat. A lot- yeah, it's in a lot of things. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's everywhere. Um, but it, it is always in very small amounts. When you when you look, it's like right. It's like two and a half. Yeah, it's like it's it's low. So I don't think you need to be overly concerned unless you're eating like a ton of processed foods, and that's a different conversation to have. Right. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So speaking of fat and sugar, let's talk about dairy because this is also big food playing into diet culture and like just messing with our brains. The world has an obsession with non-dairy milk right now. (laughs) What is your take on it? The oat milk, the almond milk, 
regular milk. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, is that first of all, here's the thing. You don't have to give your kids whole milk at age one. It's like a myth. You can give your kids like yogurt and cheese and like give them almond milk. It's fine. What's the myth? It's just that in America, we are conditioned to believe that cow's milk is going to like, it solves all the problems, right? Like uh-huh. it gives you calcium and all things, but like you can get away with other sources of calcium to give your okay. infants. For calcium. You know? so, like, okay. Yeah. Like bones. For so, yeah. Bones. Yeah. Zero. Like it's fine. Like, don't worry about that. Um, milk is a good source of protein and calcium. Chocolate milk is like the most perfect sports drink. It has, you know, electrolytes, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus is going to help you recover better than any Gatorade that there could be. Uh, you could source your milk like organic, right? If you want. Uh, so you don't necessarily need to ha- not drink milk. We don't have to vilify milk, but we don't have to put it on this crazy pedestal either. So I think because people figured out that like milk wasn't the cure-all, then they had to go like the opposite way. Mm-hmm. If you want to have an alt milk, have an alt milk. Who cares? Just remember, there's some of those milks have a lot of sugar in there. And so if you are a diabetic, for example, <laughs> you probably want to pay attention to the pea protein milk, ripple milk, or like, you know, oat milk or any of those things, because that might affect your blood sugar. But if you like them, cool. They're not going to give you like a ton of protein. They're not going to give you calcium. They don't have a ton of fat in them. So it's just basically... You know, like I give my, everyone in my family is lactose intolerant, but me. So like by default, there's like no milk products there. Um, but my son likes to have like cookies and like almond milk because he feels like there's cookies in the almond milk. So he's like cookies uh-huh. and cookie milk and he, that's what he has like at night. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. So it's not a ton of sugar. And I don't feel like some kind of way about it. So if you're not actually like lactose intolerant, like you, there's no reason for you not to be drinking like a health reason for cow's no, milk I, no, that affects like, it, you. They're like, it causes allergies, it causes mucus. Cause like, okay, maybe for you. Maybe not for somebody else. You talked about plant-based before. Are there benefits to plant-based? Yeah. <laughs> um of course. because there's also so many accounts that are saying, no, you should be eating meat. I mean, it's good for you, it's good for your brain. Like so. Well, I, when I say plant-based, I don't say that you don't, you shouldn't eat meat. I just say, listen, you've got five chances a day, right, to eat plants. So today, this morning I had an egg, but for lunch I had lentils with vegetables in it. Then I'll have strawberries and pistachios that I bought to the office. And then for dinner, my husband will probably make turkey burgers. So half of the things that I ate today were plant-based. So there's fiber, there's which will help with my gut, will help with, you know, if I care about my weight, weight management, my feelings of hunger, and then I'm getting good protein and, you know, omegas and all of these, you know, vitamins, et cetera, from meat or fish and and the like. So eating a varied diet, but always making sure that there are plants visible somewhere Mm -hmm. is going to help us. Okay. So it's not like the cure-all is to, there's no no cure-all is what we're getting at. (laughs) Speaking of gut, you brought up gut. I've got on my list, all these gut health diets, and all the advice to improve your gut health, how much of it is real and how much of it is selling you something? Um, the other day, I had a patient referred to me by a naturopath. It's important. I'm saying that for a reason, right? First of all, the guy had SIBO and was on low FODMAP for the last two years. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, why are you on low FODMAP for the last two years? And he's like, well, that's what they put me on because otherwise my SIBO keeps coming back. And I'm like, well, we have to find out why the SIBO keeps coming back. This low FODMAP is not going to make a difference and you're like suffering. Yeah. And he was like, oh, <laughs> Like, so I can give you all the diets in the world, but if I don't know why you keep having your current SIBO, they don't mean anything. So now I'm just like torturing my patient. And so, <laughs> yes, there is benefit to what, talking through with your patient how we can help the diet so that they don't have the symptoms. We can help you manage those things. But we need to understand root cause first. So as a practitioner, for me to just be like, do it this way and don't eat this. That's just, I'm not really doing my job very well, right? But but you're talking about like if somebody has SIBO or it has IBS or something, right? right? I think that there's just a lot going on where it's like you have to improve your gut health, like whether or not you have any type of symptoms. How much of that is real? It's just like bullshit. Like why don't you just, you can just come to me and I could you'd be like, oh, I talked to you. And I could be like, hey, you know how you can improve your gut health? Eat a vegetable at lunch and dinner because you don't eat any vegetables during the day. <laughs> it's like literally that simple. And then, and then the people come back. You know what happens when they come to me and they're like, I need to, I want to lose weight. I feel, I always feel bloated, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, okay. Tell me, tell me everything. And then I listen to their, their recall. And they're, this is the thing that I noticed. No fruit, no vegetables. Oh, and I only go to the bathroom every four days. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So then I like, I order the eating. And they come back the next week and they're like, so weird. I lost six pounds and I go to the bathroom every day. And I'm like, yes, because you're eating vegetables and fruit. I, I don't take anything away. I'm just like, please add this just to your diet. Just add it. Yeah. Just add. And then they're like, and my stomach is not bloated anymore. I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> like being a practitioner and like listening to the patient really in depth mm-hmm. can help. We don't have to keep removing. What about inflammatory foods? I know we touched on this. Like there's with, with the gut health diet, they're always like, there's also, this is inflammatory. There's toxins. There's a neurotoxin. First of all, what is a toxin? <laughs> Can you define what they, what do they mean by toxins and what is a toxin? I mean, I mean, they don't even know what they mean when they say toxin. That's the best part of the whole thing, yeah. right? They'll be like, you have this toxin and you're like, okay, well, this toxin is like naturally occurring in the soil. So like, I'm not sure. The other day I saw this girl was like, the to- there's toxins in my coffee and I'm never drinking coffee again. And it's like, yeah, the toxin is caffeine. Cool. Right. So there's toxins in alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> but you're all drinking. So yeah. So I don't think that people have to necessarily worry about that unless we see really symptoms that would really prompt us to then like start to deep dive and like do all of this testing. But if you come to me and you feel some kind of way and we make some changes to the diet and you feel better, then we should say you're better and we should Mm -hmm. be okay with it. We don't always need to be looking for some like root cause, but I guess that goes back to this diet culture. Like, oh, I can't, I can't lose weight. So there must be something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Right. So let me spend all this money to find out. I think also having this conversation and going through this giant list is like that. It makes me wonder or think that no, we weren't armed with all of this information many years ago. And people, I mean, maybe we didn't do just fine, but like people weren't as also as obsessed like this. Like these are, all of this is coming from, 
my DM, right? My messages. Like this is what's swirling in everyone's head and it's swirling in mine. I worry about this and all, there's so much confusing and conflicting information. Here's a, another one. Is inter, somebody, is intermittent fasting good for you? That's one of the, like, is it really the cure-all? And then another one is, do you have to eat within 30 minutes of waking up to boost your metabolism? <laughs> like that's literally... I think you can have two arguments to every single thing that we've gone through. And it's, you can't, you can't help but wonder that it is maybe big food, maybe big pharma. Like there is a, a sense of diet culture, like looming over all of this. Social media too. Like think about it. Like I see an influencer who has her life together and she lives in her big house with her perfect kids and she's super thin and she's making these like cookies for her kids before school, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, I need to be like her. So let me start yes, right. following her account and making her food and I need to be like her. Here, these are why I'm asking these questions because she talked about intermittent fasting and how it worked for her. It's, so it's the first time in history that we have sightline into people's lives. Mm -hmm. And then everybody thinks that the, what we see is real. Where when we were growing up- better. Yeah, their life is better. But like we were growing up, I mean, you, what did I have? I, I mean, I'm older than you, but like I just had like, you know, Cosmo. Like there was no internet. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. So we didn't know. I didn't know what J-Lo was doing, right? I, I had no idea. Right, you, well, now we know. <laughs> now we know everything. She's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that, that's part of the thing. You you get conflicting messages because you see people seemingly having it together, behaving in this one way, but you don't hear all the extras, that mm -hmm. they have family help, that they have a chef, that they have somebody, a nanny, that they have all of this help to make it easy for them. Well, I have so many more, but I'm not going to go through them. But I have one more question. Is there one thing that you wish you could snap your fingers and change about diet culture? I wish that people would be able to give themselves grace and be okay with them because like who you are is enough. Maybe no one told you that, but who you are is enough. And the way that you look does not give you value. It's who you are inside. And like somebody loves you, right? Like I don't know. You're married. You have a boy. Like, think about it. You're married. You have kids. Your husband like is into you. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's made up. Like, you know, why is that not enough? Why are you always looking outside for validation? Right. We're all in this pursuit for something to yeah. make, because we're always feeling like everybody else has it better and you don't. Right. Right. And I think this is a good way to set the mood for this week. So a new thing we do is set intentions for the week that everybody can sort of feel like we're all on the same page. And I think that's a good one. So thank you, Vanessa, for submitting that one is to sort anytime you feel the need to want to change something this week because of something you see on social media or you read or you hear, try to maybe think of one good thing that you have in your life instead that maybe you can focus on instead. Yeah. Like, if I love you, if you don't think anybody else does, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Look inward. Well, Trick. thank you so much. I really you. appreciate you for coming back on. And maybe we can answer some more, uh, like, demything, debunking? Debunking. On social media. But thank you, Vanessa. Everyone go check out Kulina Health. They take insurance. I love them. And where can people follow or... 
Check yeah, you out. Vanessa, Vanessa Rosetto RD or at Kalina Health. And yeah, come visit. That's awesome. <laughs> And everybody, you can email us DST at Betches.com. Follow us at Diastars tomorrow. Leave us a review if you like the show, if you don't reserve your opinions. And <laughs> you can DM me your, your, if you, you're bothered. And we're always with you. For thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.